Welcome to Defining Endurance, a podcast focused on providing actionable insights for endurance athletes. Whether you're an athlete just getting started in endurance sports or a veteran looking to gain an edge, the Defining Endurance podcast is here to ask curious questions with athletes and fitness professionals, and most importantly, dive deep on current training topics so you can become the best version of yourself. Let us wait no longer. Let's dive into this week's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Defining Endurance, the podcast from Lifelong Endurance. I am Coach Lexi Miller, host of today's episode, and I am joined by one of my favorite human beings, Dr. Kristen Wells-Rasman. Kristen and I actually grew up together uh, doing Nordic skiing, cross-country running, uh, and playing in the mountains of Leadville, Colorado. She then went on to, you know, just casually get her doctorate from Stanford University in genetics. Uh, Kristen, thanks for joining us. Thanks for that introduction, Lexi. (laughs) Um, So today I wanted to talk about the genetics of training and Um, You know, specifically with the runners I work with, we tend to get a lot of questions around how much can I actually change about who I am, you know, my genetic makeup, and how much am I just kind of predisposed to be? Am I always going to be a five-hour marathon runner, or do I have the capability of qualifying for uh, Western States 100? So, you know, I think this is something that really affects a lot of runners and something we've thought about in a lot of different capacities as we go through training. So I'm really excited to dive in today. Uh, To start, Kristen, could you tell us a little bit about your background with genetics? Yeah, definitely. So I started getting really into genetics when I was in college. I was a biology major in college, and I started doing some research with one of the faculty members at Colorado College. And he did some really cool work looking at these tiny little worms and trying to understand how they evolved. Um, So that's how I started getting into it. And then I went in and did a PhD at Stanford, which I just finished about a year ago. And there I was really focused on like the bigger picture of genetics. I wanted to really understand how genes work together as a whole. Um, So I became more involved in the immunology field. And I spend a lot of time now working on understanding the the genetics of different autoimmune diseases. Um, And after I finished my PhD, I went on to the Barbara Davis Center at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus, which is where I am right now. So there, they're pretty focused on studying diabetes. So again, I'm the person who actually gets to play with all the genetic data that comes in. So I spend a lot of my time on the computer working with the genetic data there. That's great. And that's so amazing that you were able to get into that field. And what a wild time, you know, post-pandemic to be starting in that in that field. Not, not the best time to be looking for a new job. Um, so we're going to be talking a little bit more about like genomes and genes. Could you, I mean, I know you have uh, degrees in this, but kind of break it down for someone like me who maybe science isn't their best friend and explain what those are. Yeah, definitely. It's actually one of my favorite things to explain. Um, so genetics and genes are basically what make you who you are. So you probably have heard of something called DNA before, and everyone has DNA, and you've probably been told that it's very unique to you. So I think of DNA as the instructions that build you. Um, So I kind of think of it as like a recipe book, and your DNA is your entire recipe book. Well, within that recipe book are individual recipes, and those are individual genes. Now, every single one of your cells makes different genes, and then these genes become proteins. So a protein that 
you probably have heard about, especially as you're training, is a protein like hemoglobin. So generally, only your blood cells are making hemoglobin. Um, so you have these genes that are coded by your DNA. They're made into RNA, um, and only some of that is made into RNA, so just a small subset. And then that is made into a protein, which actually does the work. So the protein in that case would be the final recipe. So whatever final thing is actually doing the work. Um, and what I find really interesting is the mRNA part, because that's something that's very unique to each individual cell type. It's also very unique to each individual person. And it's only the messenger. It's not the final thing, but it tells you a lot about what the final thing can become. And it's pretty easy for us to that's great. I really like that analogy of it being kind of like the recipe book of like how we're made because yeah, it's, you know, back in high school, we learned what DNA was, but it was just, you wrote down that definition and moved on. Um, so that's a really great way to kind of think of it and how it, it affects all of us, especially as athletes. Um, so to kind of dive into like more of this training specific, um, endurance specific side of genetics, um, you know, as a coach, like I said, I tend to talk with a lot of athletes who either feel as though they're just kind of stuck with where they are, what they were given genetically, you know, their parents weren't athletes, they're not going to be a great athlete, or there's people who are just bound and determined to change everything about them. How much are we actually able to, to improve our aerobic capacity or get stronger? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, and I do have to say here that that my field is more specifically immunology. Um, so I've done a lot of reading on this in the past couple of weeks. And it seems like it's in part in your control and in part not. Um, so there are certainly some aspects of it that you can improve. Um, and there have been some really fascinating studies at how much people can improve things like the size of their blood vessels um, and, and things like that as they are actually training. So specific training regimens seem to be able to improve that pretty substantially. Um, but there is certainly a part that seems to be genetic. There have been a lot of different types of studies that have been done that have shown that it ranges from between like 20 and 50% heritable. Um, so while there are plenty of things that you can change, you certainly can't change all of it. And it does seem like specific Olympic athletes maybe do have a bit of an advantage genetically. No, that totally makes sense. And that kind of goes into this next section where we'll, we'll chat about. Um, so there's this amazing ultra runner, Killian Jornet, and he has a VO2 max of like, I think it's like 96, um, where most people who are in the range of excellent tend to hang out at like a 50 to a 50, like a 50 to 60. So his VO2 max is just out there. How much of that is genetics and how much of that is just really good training? Yeah, so for his case specifically, I don't know. I did come across a couple of papers about a skier from Finland who did have a specific mutation in that hemoglobin gene that I talked about earlier. So that's a specific change to his DNA that then made a different final protein that seemed to be more functional. And he had a much higher VO2 max than most people did. And it remained really high even when he was not training as hard. So my suspicion is with a VO2 max that high, there probably is some change in the DNA, probably related to hemoglobin, but there's plenty of other places where it could have changed that did contribute to that. Absolutely. And then you also mentioned some twin studies looking at, at that as far as VO2 max. Could you kind of dive into that a little bit more? 
Yeah, definitely. So there's a lot of different types of studies that people used to get at this. One of the most common is twin studies. And this is just because identical twins have basically the exact same DNA. There's maybe a few tiny changes, but for the most part, they are genetically identical. So now you have two people that potentially are in slightly different environments, but have the same genetic background. So using this, you can start to parse apart the difference between environment, which is how much you train and what you eat and where you grew up and what your genetics are telling you. Um, so the twin studies are really great. And you can actually compare uh, identical twins to non-identical twins to get a better understanding of what is heritable and what is not. Um, there are other studies as well that are somewhat similar, um, but instead of looking at twins, you're looking at a really large population of people. So these studies you take and you have people with a specific attribute. So in this case, you would be thinking about how, like what their VO2 max is or what their marathon time is. And you're trying to find any genetic similarity that that group has compared to a group that doesn't have that trait. So those are the two most common ways that people really try to get at this problem. Um, but it's really hard to get a really specific number. Um, so that's why the heritability range that I gave you is so big. It's from like 10% to 50%, because part of the problem is what is it that you're actually measuring? So in some of these studies, they were measuring like actual VO2 max, um, but some of them, they were just giving surveys. And the hard thing with measuring VO2 max is the study has to be much smaller. And so it's really hard to figure out what question to ask to even begin to know what you're measuring in these cases. When it comes to your health and longevity, you hold nothing back. You understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build strength, speed recovery, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll unlock real time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personalized trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash defining endurance. That's insidetracker.com forward slash defining endurance. No, that's great. And it's great to know that there is, you know, so much kind of left to, to be studied in this area. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's probably a huge interest to a certain group of people, but probably not where a lot of research money is going because, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a frivolous pursuit. So it'll be interesting to see over the years, you know, kind of what comes of that. Uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, what, as a lot of coaches, we tend to encourage our athletes towards heat training or elevation training, especially um, as they're getting preparing for an event that might be um, at a higher elevation. So I kind of wanted to talk about how those two elements, heat and elevation, impact our, our genetics and our DNA. So first, uh, how can uh, heat training affect genetics? Yeah, so that's that's a really good question. That brings us to a little different point. So I guess I need to explain genetics 
slightly differently. So there's two parts of genetics. There's what is written into your DNA. And then there's that mRNA portion, the part that I said I'm really interested in. So this is interesting because this is the only part of genetics that you can train at all. Um, and this is, you know, you see specific genes are expressed in specific cells, but there is some way that you can control how much those genes are expressed. Um, so these are those environmental impacts that we often talk about. So one thing that's really cool about the heat training that I was reading is that it actually increases the expression of these genes that are called heat shock genes. So they're often upregulated in response to stress. So they're just in general upregulated in response to exercise, but they're even more upregulated. So we have more expression of these genes when you're exercising in the heat. And in mice, what they've found is when they are exercising in the heat and they have an upregulation, so increased amounts of these genes being made, um, they find that there's more mitochondrial biogenesis. So by that, I mean there's more of those specific parts of your cell that are making the energy. So if you have more energy in your cells, they're obviously better able to continue to power your muscles for longer. So that's the theory of how heat shock training is actually working. So you're working out when it's warmer, you're upregulating different genes, and then you're actually changing your system. Um, and this is really cool for VO2 max as well. When your capillaries grow, when you're exercising, that's actually increasing the expression of different genes. So now you're increasing expression of different genes for a period. You're actually physically changing your body because of the stimulus that you've given it. And then you're able to train better and have more uh, like a better speed in the future or higher VO2 max in the future because of that. Um, altitude was a little bit harder to see real results for. It seemed like heat training, there had been better studies that had shown that it really helps and they had some molecular mechanisms for that. Um, in general, there were some places that showed that there was an increased VO2 max at altitude. Um, but they didn't go into what genes were being upregulated in that case. Um, and some studies showed that there was an improvement, and stud some studies showed that it was not. Um, and my understanding of that is that part of the problem is that altitude training can be train high, sleep low, sleep low, train high, and train high, sleep high. So that's maybe part of why there's so many differences in the results that they're seeing in these studies. So how about an athlete like you who grew up at 10,000 feet, how might, how might your genetics differ than, you know, somebody who grew up at sea level? Yeah. So what's kind of sad about that is I think probably not that much. I still get really sick when I go see my parents when I was living at Stanford. It's much better now that I'm in Denver. Um, so there's brief changes, right? Like you go up and your, your blood levels change, right? Like you get an increase in red blood cells. So you have this short-term increase. And again, that is genetic, right? You have this stress response. You change your genes, the expression of your genes. Um, but what's really interesting is, well, I don't have any genetics that help me with that. People who live in Nepal actually have had substantial genetic changes. So you can actually look at their DNA sequence and see changes to specific genes that allow them to live at altitude much better than I ever could. Um, so unfortunately, that seems to be less of a like adaptation and more of a true evolution issue. So maybe if you live there for, you know, tens of thousands of years, you'll get there. No, that's <laughs> fascinating. Like that it's more, you know, you think like, oh, it just matters if I'm born there, not that 
you know, my great, great, great grandmother was also born there. Um, So kind of along with that, and this question might be really hard to answer. And so that's, that's okay. But to break it down, how much can we truly change our genetics or who we are? And how much are we kind of already born with? Yeah, so that's a question that I think every geneticist wishes they could answer. Um, I think that is our true goal as geneticists is what is it that we can actually control and change and what is truly coded in us? Um, And even more than that, like whatever is coded in us, what is it, right? We know some of the genes, but we don't know all of them. So I know that there are certain genes that we know are really important. Um, And we know there are some ways that you can change the expression of these genes, but also there's just some of it that you're not going to ever be able to change, right? Like if you have a specific form of hemoglobin, then you're kind of stuck with that and you won't be able to change it. Um, My suspicion is as we get better at understanding these genetics and understanding what genes need to be upregulated, we'll probably get better at knowing what to change environmentally to really improve people who maybe have more of a disadvantage in terms of what hemoglobin they have. Um, But one thing I want to say there is maybe you think at the end of this that whatever version of your gene is a disadvantage, but it turns out that often it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Um, So one thing that's really fascinating to me, again, going to hemoglobin, it's always been one of my favorite proteins, is people who have sickle cell anemia, So they have a mutation in the hemoglobin gene. But what's amazing is if they only have one bad copy, so remember, maybe you've heard that you have one copy from your mom and one from your dad. So if only one of the copy has this mutation that makes it non-functional, they're protected against malaria. So one thing that's amazing is they then don't get malaria despite potentially having a higher risk of having sickle cell anemia, especially if they have both copies of the gene. So... Genetics is always really tricky because in some cases a gene, like a version of a gene can seem really bad. And in other cases, it's really beneficial. Um, So that's one thing to keep in mind as well when you're thinking about this is maybe in some circumstances, it seems like it's a disadvantage, but in others, it would be an advantage. Um, So that's one way I like to think about it too. No, I think that's a really great thing to keep in mind is, yeah, we might not suddenly become the world's most amazing 5K runner, but that could be because we're more predisposed to trucking along at high elevations or carrying a heavy pack. So it's it's finding those skills and, and how they balance each other out. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you've been published several times. How can people find you? So probably the best way to find me is the University of Colorado website. Um, my email is kristen.wellsrassman at cuanshoots.edu. It's a bit long. Uh, so that's probably the best way to reach me. But also, if you're at all interested in my papers, you can just search for Kristen L. Wells and you can find those probably anywhere on the Internet. <laughs> We really appreciate your time. Definitely uh, people who who maybe are a little bit more science-minded, if you have questions, please feel free to send them along to, to us and we can forward them to Kristen um, and possibly have her back for another episode where we can, we can do more of a question and answer on what the athletes want to know. Um, but otherwise, thank you again, Kristen. It was so wonderful to talk with you today. Yeah, thank you, Lexi.